Hi, on the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible. Is inflation still a worry? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Mish Schneider, Chief Strategist at MarketGage.com and a member of the RV Marketplace. If you want to get regular research from Mission uh, Market Gage, just hit the RV Marketplace tab at the top of your RV homepage, and it'll take you uh, to that site. Hey, Mish, great to have you on with us right out of the gate for this new year. Hi, Maggie, and everyone. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, so yeah, we were we've been joking all week. Hap, not a happy New Year though, if you're if you're trying to uh, hope that the U.S. stock market went up because we've had an interesting first week. A bit of a seems like a sentiment reset for the markets. U.S. stocks have been selling off. They continue to do that today, even though it looked like we were they were going to try to in a battle uh, to hold into positive territory. It didn't seem like it really happened as we settle here, um, and we've seen. Oh, actually, I think we did dip into positive territory. Okay. They they fought back, but it was it was a battle right to the end. But we saw the 10-year yield flirting back again up above 4%. So it seems like everyone's sort of really rethinking that really dovish Fed scenario that dominated at the end of Q4. We had a payroll number today. We had a couple payroll numbers out this week, private sector and weekly, and the government number today, all of them a bit higher than expected. So Let's just start with the it's the 800 pound gorilla, right? How are you thinking about inflation and rates here? It's the question I know you've been getting, we've been talking about all week. What are you thinking about here? Well, I sort of, you know, it's 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 interesting because there is what the evidence is right now, which can certainly support that many areas the inflation narrative has been broke, right? And people are talking disinflation. And yet there are other areas that really make you wonder that how attached you should get to that first narrative. Because just looking at shipping costs, they were at the 2023 lows pretty much going into the end of 2023. And now here we are. We're not even a week into 2024. And they're at highs beyond what 2023 did. So, you know, we know that there's a reason, obviously, a lot of it has to do with the Red Sea. And, 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 and now there's still concerns, of course, with Ukraine and Russia kind of going at it again. Supply chain is a disruption. But I think what you really have to do is you have to step back. And this is what I'm trying to do. And look at the notion of a super cycle in and of itself. And I've lived through them. Or I should say I lived through one because I don't think we've really seen another super cycle in inflation since we, the one we saw in the 70s. And there are a lot of similarities and there are a lot of differences. But one thing that I know and kind of what we're seeing now evidenced 
not just by what I mentioned with shipping costs, but certain commodities that have continued to stay very elevated, the big question still about oil. And then, of course, what we saw in the numbers today with employment, the wage is actually rising a little bit. The price of goods in the ISM have gone up. Mm. You know, all of this makes you wonder what is going to be the catalyst to take a super cycle back to what its meaning is, which means like a roller coaster, right? Mm. So to see a 40% move up in commodity prices and then a 40% move down, um, and even a 40% move up is not necessarily accurate depending on what you're talking about. And we'll talk about sugar, of course, is not unusual. So right now, if I always like to say if the world stopped right now, you know, we could say, all right, the market got a little ahead of itself with the idea of lower interest rates, which, by the way, I don't think is necessarily the best thing for the market anyway, but that's another story. And a lot of prices have come down. And yes, there are only certain areas that are elevated because of geopolitical situation. Fed funds rate around 4%, CPI just a little bit above 3%, normalization, we got to pass. That's if it ended today. But we know the world's not going to end today. Mm. Um, in fact, by the way, anecdotally, at New Year's Eve, I can't tell you how many, we have a few people over, people walked in the door and said, so Mish, is the world going to come to an end this year? I'm like, really? <laughs> that's where, that's where it feels, <laughs> listen, if you got to get off the internet, right? Like if you, if you, <laughs> you can certainly feel like that and you can't blame them. <laughs> right, exactly. So assuming that it's not, um, I do feel that almost like pickup sticks, any of the pickup sticks that could spike inflation, especially historically, when we know it can happen. We also know statistically that super cycles don't, just don't end and die on the vine. And we also have somewhat of a comparative uh, nature looking at the 70s, where we had the spike in CPI, then the big trough, and then the big spike again. You know, I'd say we should be prepared. That's how I'm looking at it. It's so interesting. So this is why you know, we love to have these conversations because we can get very keyed into the day-to-day, -day, the week-to-week, -week, and it's important to make sure, especially in this environment, we stay nimble. But, you know, sometimes you really have to pull the lens out. So it's interesting to think about it that way um, and that we this volatility we're seeing might be a condition of that. So it sounds like it's not your main base case, but it's something that you're watching for closely. So what are you looking at? What would indicate to you, hey, wait a minute, this is part of the super cycle that we're in. This is not, oh, it's all past us now. We don't have to worry. What are some of the things you're going to be looking at? Because the problem is some of the main inflation indicators, they lag, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the hard part. What are you looking for? Yeah. And not to mention that CPI in and of itself is questionable. It's very cooked, but that's a story for another time. But that's a great question, Maggie. So here's four things that I'm going to be looking at. Number one is we already know that gold has been elevated. And I can't tell you how many times I get emails from people that I know that send me stuff from other analysts are saying gold is toast. It's going down. How could you still be bullish gold? Look at it. It hasn't really gone anywhere. My answer is, yeah, it really hasn't gone anywhere except the fact that it's still only $50 away from its highs, its all-time highs which means even in the face of the dollar bouncing off of 101, closing back over 102, as you mentioned before, the rate's going back a little bit up over 4%, the gold is still hanging in there. In fact, it closed green. So that's one indicator is that right now, gold's been a flight to safety as like, okay, at least I know there's gold. So we have to look at silver. 
And silver has also been fluctuating pretty much between like $22 and $25. And it's not outperforming gold. And in an inflationary scenario, typically silver will outperform. So I'm watching for that. It's tangible. Mm. And it won't be a lagging indicator. It'll be a lead indicator. So I like that. Secondly, we have to watch oil. So the best thing I can say about oil is given all the abysmal news coming out of the Middle East and potentially again with Russia and Ukraine, oil hasn't really done very much. It's range bound. So I'm happy about that for two reasons. One is obviously it's nice, even though I have a hybrid, to go to the gas station and see prices at $2.49 a gallon as opposed to where we were not too long ago. But most importantly, it's telling me that if we have a range bound, and let's call it $65 to $85 a barrel, we know that if oil starts to go above $85 a barrel, that's probably a really good indicator that oil is starting to, to heat up a little bit. Okay, and that also could be a factor. So you're watching silver now to gold, you're watching oil. My, you know, my go-to always is sugar. So, you know, just to repeat for people who haven't heard me pontificate on the white stuff. Um, <laughs> and, I, and right, also evil in its own way. Um, it, you know, from a global standpoint, it is a staple in a lot of food. From a social uh, comfort food standpoint, it's what people turn to. From an inflation standpoint, even though it's more expensive, sugary foods, tend to be less expensive, or at least in the perception of people than some of the healthier foods. And all of that has always been why, not to mention the fact that my first trade ever in life was in sugar futures back in the day. I've learned to watch that. So let's look at sugar, right? It went from six cents in 2020. It peaked this year at 28 cents. And this is a classic example. It actually consolidated for a little bit between 2021 until it started to move up in 2023, kind of between 15 and 20 cents a a, a pound. And then it flew to 28. So from 20 to 28, and now it's back down at 20. So people go, oh, okay, sugar's over. Well, it's still four times more expensive than it was in 2020. And it's right back here on support. And I think, let me look, it actually closed green today. So I like to look at the sugar chart And at 21 cents, I'm not really all that concerned. Starts to creep up over 22, 22.20 to be exact, because you have a major moving average there. Then I would say now you have some real tangible indicators at your disposal, and you can forget about headlines and worrying about what the PPI is and the CPI is and the PCE. Just look there, those relationships. And that's kind of what I'm doing. That doesn't mean I'm frozen. So right, silver, not- silver, sugar moving, oil just not collapsing. Or possibly moving back. Or possibly moving. Right. Yeah. I mean, some other prices are still pretty high, relatively copper, steel, iron ore, um, you know, those kinds of things. So it doesn't also have to be every commodity. I mean, people also think, oh, my God, a super cycle means what we saw in 2021 when there was nothing. And then all of a sudden there were shortages and nobody to move anything. No, super cycles just go back to the 70s. Not every commodity moved, but the ones that did wreaked havoc on the inflation numbers. And that's what you have to keep your eyes on. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again. March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, because this is this is the thing that everyone is sort of really focused on and I think struggling with. So Mish, um, great question coming in from the macro, macro butler. Uh, the market seems not hedged for a second inflation wave. Which asset would you buy to hedge if there is a second inflation wave? Well, that's a really good question. So I think I just mentioned a few, but they're not necessarily ripe yet. Although I have to tell you, we did buy gold miners today and I'm kind of, you know, shaking because um, <clears throat> they're still pretty beat up chart. But from a, from, a, from a technical standpoint, they've made a series of higher lows. So I've got a good risk point. But I would say, I mean, I still think gold, it's, it's a question now of where people were expecting a better dip and we really didn't get much of a dip here. I think while well, we're at like 2055, um, I was kind of hoping we would see prices maybe closer to 1980, 2000. We may not get there. So I would say keep an eye there. I mean, you can sort of just jump in and as a kind of a more of a passive investment, that's not kind of what I like to do. Either wait for a substantial dip or wait for a major breakout. And that major breakout, of course, will be everybody and their brother has shown a chart on, on X over this 2100 level. Uh, Doug asking while, while we're in this spot, what do you make of, you mentioned copper a moment ago, I think, what do you make of Dr. Copper's performance? I actually am considering, well, it's certainly, I mean, as a recession indicator, it looked a little bit dicey for a while. I actually think it's holding up pretty well. So, um, again, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is going to depend on demand, not just demand in this, in the U S because there is going to be a, I believe a push and already has been a push, which is why the Dow has done so well, more into infrastructure. And I don't mean EV infrastructure. I just mean infrastructure in general and automation and anything that requires the use of copper and, and, and the demand on copper being higher than what's expected, China being another player in that, could send it soaring. But we're just looking at it now as one of the basket of the industrial metals. And right now, I'm thinking they're not wowing me, but they're not also telling me that, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Those prices are going to go down and we're heading into a recession. I st stagflation is back on the table. Talk about a word. Yeah. And that's a word nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> nobody nobody wants to ever wants to talk about Especially it. Especially central bankers. So um, Ralph also asking, uh, oh, actually two good questions from Ralph. Um, I'm going to give them to you both, Ralph. You're on fire today. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about this one because you're talking about beat up charts and it has come up. So interestingly, We've heard, a, a, I, I was going to give all of you credit because I think all of the people that we have on, you always are trying to look around the corner, right? All of you 
sort of do your craft in terms of trying to figure out what's coming. And um, you've, there's been a consistent theme this week. You're all sort of worried about the same things, circling around the same ideas, which I think is amazing. Um, Ralph asking any thoughts on Nat Gas? That has been really beat up. Um, and when we're talking about, you know, the inflation break and reprieve that we got, some of it was from some of these energy prices falling so much. But now there's some, you know, some concern, especially, you know, uh, when you're looking at Europe, if that's on anyone's radar. So what, what are your thoughts about Nat Gas, Nish? I almost bought it when it started to clear back over like 240, but I decided to wait because to me, this feels like a lot of noise until we get back over three. So right now, I would accredit this to two things, probably some short covering, some bottom picking, and also talk of some really deep freeze temperatures coming out of Europe. Um, and even here in the United States, I mean, I can't speak for the rest of the United States, but we're about to get a pretty good cold snap here in the Southwest. Um, so I think that that doesn't necessarily mean to me that there is a huge problem with supply of natural gas. So I would start to get more interested in that potential. If we start getting through $3, we get through $3, then we start to look like we just had a major base for over a year. And that gives me at least some technical point to look at as far as a risk factor. It has to hold over three, it breaks down under three, then you know it was a false breakout kind of thing. And that's that's kind of what I need to sink my teeth into right now for that gas. And so Ralph's other really interesting question is what commodities didn't move in the 1970s? Oh wow. <laughs> I know. I mean I was gonna I was throwing that at you, Mish. I mean you're not a you're not a computer. So so we'll put a pin in that one, maybe. Well, no, no, no. I mean, roughly, I can tell you, I mean, I'm, you know what I'm actually doing right now, Maggie? I am actually picturing myself as a very young, very young girl on the floor uh, in the commodities exchange. Yes, practically a around, child. We should say practically a child. <laughs> practically a child, right? <laughs> looking around the floor at the commodity prices and trying to remember what was moving back then and what wasn't. And the hot things that, of course, that I can remember was sugar and uh, gold and silver and platinum and palladium, the metals in general. In terms of the grains, it was that was the Chicago Board of Trade, so it wasn't in front of my very eyes, yeah. but they weren't necessarily participating in the same way. And I don't remember coffee or cocoa being particularly interesting at that point. So, um, but that is, by the way, an excellent question, Ralph. And I am now going to go back and have a look at that and report back next time. We yeah, talk. I'm going to tell you right now, I think you're super close, Mish. You're amazing. I mean, this was not pre-planned and I don't think anybody answers that off the off the cuff. Um, I just Googled it really quickly. I can't see everything, but beef did move some other things. But I think you're right about a couple of those. A couple of those commodities might have been been the only ones, but we'll we'll do some research. We have the best community that asks such smart questions, though. I just absolutely <laughs> love it, right? That, that's a great one. I love it. It, it is a great one, and it's right. a good one for us to all ponder, too. So, um, yeah. And you know, Mish, she's always on Twitter and um, and on our platform. So we'll, we can always continue this conversation after the show. Um, so want to ask about the other. Since we're talking about Macro Butler's great question about hedging, right? Hedging inflation, this is a concern. We got to talk about Bitcoin because- <laughs> 
we were all waiting. In fact, we were all kind of watching the headlines because I said nothing like burying something on a Friday afternoon as we head into the weekend if there's going to be an announcement. So, but it doesn't look like it happened, but we're all waiting to see about the spot, uh, whether that's approved, the spot, Bitcoin ETF. Um, we, we're, we think we're looking at a deadline of January 10th for there to be some kind of word on that. But we saw a big move in crypto. It was really rocking and rolling at the end of the year. We saw this sort of pullback in the first few days of this trading uh, year, this trading week rather. So how are you thinking about that? And are you getting a lot of questions about that? What are you hearing from the people, um, from your clients? Yeah, well, definitely getting a lot of questions about that. It was interesting because I had a conversation today with um, this guy who's in Dubai, who is uh, part of the Mario Nafel team. Um, and, we, and, and they're big Bitcoin people. There's a lot of Bitcoin. And of course, even your own community, I did the RBIP this mm -hmm. week, and there were tremendous questions. So people want to know and people are confused. But what this guy said, I thought was really interesting because he started talking about something that I hadn't even really thought about lately, which is we get the spot ETF passed. We have the halving that's coming up <clears throat> later this year which when you have this kind of accumulation that we've seen in Bitcoin in price, generally at that four-year mark where they actually create more scarcity of Bitcoin, you do have a bullish move. It may not happen right away. Statistically, it can happen even 26 to 32 weeks later, which means it may not even happen to November. What he brought up was, yeah, we could go to all-time highs, and right now everybody's about bullishness in Bitcoin. But what happens when we do get mass adoption through some kind of a spot ETF and then regulation comes in that could kill Bitcoin? Now, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that, but I just thought, oh, my God, I hadn't really thought about that. So that was an interesting point to make is, you know, along with adoption comes government regulation. So you always have to be aware of that. But for right now, this is exactly kind of what Holden, I got to give him, you know, mad props because he's our crypto guy. I have my own thoughts about it, but when when he tells me these things and they turn out to be, whoops, I just froze. That's okay. Keep going. We, okay, we, 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 your audio is fine. You'll, okay. you'll pop back. Okay. Um, he said that he thought that it was going to go to forty six thousand, which is pretty much exactly where it went, and then it was going to pull back down to about thirty seven thousand. So right now we're hovering what around forty two. He actually feels that the anticipation of the ETF, sort of like, you know, buy the rumors, sell the news, could actually be the reverse impact and that it could make it go down to about 37,000 where he would be an aggressive buyer in anticipation of the next thing. He also gave me a couple of other interesting points to look at that are bullish for the whole crypto space. He talked about the Ethereum Cancun upgrade. So you tend to forget about Ethereum, but he said that could be a player the USDC stablecoin IPO, he said, is coming up, even though there were rumors that that had been canceling. He feels that, you know, the whole FTX thing is over, basically. That's not going to be an issue. And finally, he said, you really have to be watching interest rates. So it goes back to our original question, yeah. right, is, is Bitcoin, how heavily influenced is Bitcoin going to be by interest rates? And what happens if they just sort of stay here? Will that just keep it range bound until the next major event or not? So that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts right here. I'm waiting. I'm out. Coin. Do you remember Maggie? Last time we talked Coinbase. Oh yes. Oh yeah. So we bought it. We were long when we spoke, and it was trading at about seventy five eighty. Well, we're out now. We got out at our last tranche at one hundred and sixty. 
now, that's 100% gain. So I'll take that any day of the week and stand aside and wait. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Hi. On the 5th and 6th of June, 2024, I'll be speaking at the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, at the iconic Marina Bay Sands. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Devon, and Balaji Srinivasan, I'll be on a stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd and 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets using the code REALVISION. Use the link in the description and I'll see you there. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, that was that's a, that was an amazing mover la- last uh, year. Uh, it, incredible, some of the gains at the end of the year. Um, so well done on that, Mish. Uh, so I want to ask about... Uh, we have some questions about Vietnam. So I want to get the emerging markets in because everybody loves to hear about that. Uh, what, how are you thinking about Vietnam right here? Uh, two, two different people asked about that. Uh, Mish, is it time to catch the Vietnam trade? I mean, Mish has been talking about Vietnam. I, I can't even remember now how many times you've been on and you've been bullish Vietnam. Uh, so how are, how are you thinking about that? Well, actually, um, we had taken some profits when it went all the way up to 1530 and then started to drop. We had a trailing stop, but it turns out we only sold half of it. So -hmm. we're still long and we're long from lower levels, like down below 12. So that's a nice cushion. So just today, to be fully disclosed here, we bought more. We bought the other half back at 13. I think we paid like 1308. And I'm talking, of course, about the VNM ETF. I, I, I think I, I like the way the technicals look. I was actually kind of surprised at how viciously it sold off. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with issues with China. Um, so um, <clears throat> I think China get, sort of wagged its finger at Vietnam in terms of how much trade they were doing with the Western uh, states, you know, particularly the United States. Mm-hmm. But I think Vietnam is still, I'm bullish. I still think that... Um, it has the potential to trade up to 20 at some point. I think you just have to be patient. Greece is my best example of that because years ago I was saying buy Greece at $7 when it was GREK at that level. Now it's been trading $36, $37, but it took a while to get there. This is not going to be a spectacular volatile move like, like what we just talked about, Coinbase. Yeah. What about China, Mish? Because we, you know, the, the, people didn't want to touch it. Uh, there's so many different narratives. It's hard to know what's going on. A lot of people really worried about the economy. And yet we had a couple of guests this week suggesting that they feel like there's been uh, some signs, some internal signs that China is sort of priming the stimulus pump. How are you? Th- are you are you looking at China? Is that on your list? I'm always looking at China for two reasons. One is I, I you know, I like to look at things that are so completely undervalued compared to the United States stock market as just looking at emerging markets in general got to a 50-year low versus the U.S. markets. Those are kind of ratios that I I love to keep an eye on. And of course, China's a big part of that. And it's hard to think of China as an emerging country, but technically it kind of still is. Mm. The second reason is that one of my closest friends here is uh, from China. Um, She's lived in the States for a while now, but she speaks to her 
family in China every day, and she's really brilliant. So I love to listen to her thoughts about China. And I happened to have dinner with her last night. And she said, I asked her about Xi. I was like, Do, are people losing faith in President Xi? Because some people could say he's playing the long game. And some people could say, well, he's made so many mistakes. Um, and now you have a new issue that came out with that one bank that, that mm-hmm. went bankrupt. Is he really basically not all that? And her answer to me was really interesting. She said, in China, people don't care. I'm like, what do you mean they don't care? <laughs> she said, they don't care. What they care about and what people have to understand is that the Chinese people are in so much better shape than they were years ago. Mm. Poverty's basically been eradicated. People have money. They're going out and buying things. They're starting to westernize in terms of fashion, although they've always been very fashion conscious, but you know, in skincare and going to the gym and, and, and being aware of their health. Um, obviously, we know that there's an aging population, which people will say that that's an issue. But for right now, those people are also going out and spending the money. Mm-hmm. And she said, all people care about is that they're being protected, that there isn't a lot of opposition that they have to worry about, and that they've got money in their pockets. And when you hear it like that, you think, okay, so where's the signal going to be in terms of it's time for me to get into FXI or KWEB, whatever your instrument of choice is. And I think FXI is trying so hard. It's not quite there yet, but the momentum has improved. I'm looking for a little bit better price in that, maybe getting back over 2380-ish. It's trading at like 2340. And Alibaba is just not doing anything. And I'd like to see Alibaba. It's been kind of ranging between $73 and $76 a share. I'm watching that so carefully because when I start to see some momentum coming back in there, I don't necessarily mean I'll buy Alibaba because it's so controversial. But well, it might, yeah. Yeah. But it might, or, yeah. Yeah. It might give me more impetus at least to get into uh, back into FXI. And again, you'll have a good, you'll have a good risk point. That That's so interesting, Mish, because of course the, 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 carry on from what you said about that is that if if this is the view then she knows it too and so what does he need to do he just needs to make sure the economy is okay and people have money in their pockets which you know means that he's going to have to do something to boost the economy so that's very that's a very that's very interesting insight um we've got a couple minutes so i'm going to try to get through a couple more areas um so let's stay with the beaten up theme what about banking well it's not so beaten up but of course that was the <laughs> That was the dog of the middle of last year. And people are right. still had a lot of concerns. And just this week, we heard people say, listen, I don't think trouble in the banking sector. Some people are still worried about a credit event. Are you are you nibbling at banking? Do you like the banking sector? Or is that something you're going to stay away from? By the way, they're the first out of the gate with earnings. The big ones are anyway. But Yes, exactly. And we have any, I mean, I, Maggie, we always have so many things that we leave on the table that we could talk about earnings being another. But yeah, let's talk about banking. So two interesting things about banking. Let's go with the Chinese theme. So, you know, I'm big on the year of. Last year was the rabbit, this year is the dragon. And what's so interesting, Raymond Lowe, who is my absolute guru and guide in terms of studying all of this, says that wood industries will do well this year in the dragon. And guess what's a wood industry? Banking. So some of it could be astrologically just sort of, in, you know, I don't know, set up. But forget, let's forget about that because that could be a little too woo-woo for, for people, including myself. Um, <clears throat> what is interesting is KRE. So I can't get too excited, even though that move in J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and now Citibank starting to move up. J.P. Morgan, of course, almost trading like a meme stock. 
has been interesting until I see regional banks. That's one of my members of the modern family who I was almost ready to put in the grave. But now I think maybe he's coming out of the coma a little bit. And if that area can sustain and get back over what I call the scene of the crime where it really crashed, which was under 55 in KRE, get back over there, then I think, yeah, banking is going to be very interesting. And if it can and it starts to turn back down, I would certainly not want to be long too many banks uh, Mm -hmm. into a big down move because then the people who are worried about a credit event might be right. Yeah, and that and that is the concern. And you know, we just just recency buys too. Whenever there's a crisis, we worry about banks. So there could just be that as well. So let's finish it off broadly. What about the S and P 500? A lot of people concerned about a correction. We've seen a really rough start to the year, um, which, to be honest, I think everyone expected. But you know, is this a correction or is it something more serious? What are you looking at for levels for the S and P? Well, you know, I always like the small caps better in terms of my own measure of how bullish or bearish I am in the overall indices. But looking at SPY, I'm kind of agnostic. I think a lot of people are right here. I'm not worried about this correction at this point. Of course, do we have the possibility of a double top? Yeah, I mean, but you never know a double top is in until it's actually in. So at this point, I'm looking at 4,600. We haven't gotten there yet. Looks like we're getting close. Haven't seen much buying coming in, even though there's been little dips of it. I think people are on hold now because of what happened this week with um, the jobs numbers and the FOMC minutes that came out and said, eh, well, not quite as dovish as people think. But I actually, at this point, wouldn't be surprised to see some range-bound trading. Maybe 4,600 breaks, we go to 4,400, what have you. It wouldn't stop me from looking at some of the areas that I'm looking at in the market that could continue to outperform. And again, you know, we haven't gotten a chance to talk about that. Banking may be one, but there's there's a few others we could talk about next time that I'm also very interested in. Absolutely. We're going to have to wait till next time. Um, otherwise, Mish, you cover everything. You know everything. It amazes us. 30 minutes is never enough. But we got a <laughs> lot of good stuff, a lot of good stuff and a lot of good food for thought and a lot of things to watch for in terms of the leading indicators that can help us with that inflation question, which is so, so critical. And I think something that we're all really looking for. So we appreciate that from you. Thank, thank you, so Maggie. Much. Thank you, Maggie. You. And thank you for those great questions. Oh, this, this crowd's on fire today. If you are not in the chat on our platform, sign up, get over here uh, and participate because they're not only asking really smart questions, they're sharing some really good information with each other, which they always do. They're amazing. Thanks to all of you. I could tell everybody's prime for the weekend. So go have yourself a fantastic one. We'll see you back here on Monday. Thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.